do turn to first John first John and chapter three. We will read together the first three verses. First John chapter three verse one to verse three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has or who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Well, brethren, we continue in our series of messages on the theme of uh, assurance of eternal salvation. Assurance of eternal salvation. And we are doing so by looking at the epistle of uh, John where he particularly deals with this subject. We are currently in the third chapter. And there we have first of all marveled at the love with which God has loved us. We are absolutely unworthy of it. We know our own sin, our own tendency to sinfulness, and yet this God who knows all these details and knows much more than we ourselves know has distinguished us, has made us objects of His eternal love. Surely that has left us in utter amazement. But we also saw last week that uh, the world fails to appreciate the uniqueness of the people of God, failing to recognize how God has treated us with such love and affection. And what we went on to see is that it's primarily because of the world's own blindness and One obvious proof of it is that when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came into the world, they failed to recognize Him. As far as they were concerned, He was just a rabbi, a teacher, like so many other rabbis that were around. And consequently, when they realized that He was claiming to be God the Son, instead of worshipping Him, they immediately decided He needs to die. And in the end, their desire was finally fulfilled. And so we said that we must not base our own assurance of salvation on the world's opinion. Because if we do that, we will see ourselves as nothing more than religious people, like Muslims, 
and others perhaps who believe in old African belief systems will be saying that's all we've done. We've just shifted from one religion to the other and failed to see the depth of spiritual reality that has taken place already in us through our salvation. Well, today we continue to look at the whole subject of Christians being the children of God. Not simply because God has made us, that we are part of His creation, but because He has made us in a very unique way His special people. If you ask many individuals who claim to be Christians as to them knowing that they are children of God, the answer often is something like this. Yes, we, we are God's children. After all, He has made us. And so that's all they see. Human beings are the children of God because they have been made by Him. But when you say, okay, but what about this special place that God has given to those who are Christians? Are you in that position? The answer is often, well, I'm trying my best. I'm hoping I will get there. But I can only really know after I die. On that other side, when God judges me, that's when I will really know whether I am a person that will be with Him in heaven or I am a person that finally loses on the judgment day and goes to hell. Well, clearly, that's not the way the Apostle John understands this subject. For as we go on to see in this passage of Scripture, he says, Beloved, in verse 2, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, while you are in this life, today, as far as John is concerned, you are supposed to know whether you are a child of God or not. That's what he's saying. And friends, assurance of salvation, therefore, assurance of eternal salvation, is crucial to Christianity. We are not left guessing whether we might go to heaven or we might not go to heaven, depending on how good a job we do in this activity or the other. No. God wants us to know and to know now whether we are His children or not. We have said before that there are at least two reasons why that is crucial. First of all, it is this. That you see, if you don't know that you are a child of God, you will not serve Him out of gratitude. You won't. 
He will be doing it simply as a means of hoping you can gain something from Him. But somewhere along the lines, you get tired of trying and trying and trying. And in the end, you may easily give up. God wants us to serve Him out of gratitude. Out of the realization that um, his child has done so much for me. He's loved me so much. Why should I hold back my love from him? But another reason is simply the fact that, look, if you are satisfied with this, I'm don't know, I'm not sure, you are gambling on the most important issue of life. And it is this, to end up dying and then going to hell, when in actual fact, now you could know that in fact I'm not going to heaven, I've failed all the tests that are there in scripture. This is the opportunity now to make things right. So clearly, God wants us to know. The Apostle John is making it clear here that if we are God's children, we should know that reality while we are still on earth. While we are still on earth. He puts it this way, beloved, using very endearing terms there. In other words, those of you whom I love but above all, those of you who are loved by God, we are God's children now. In fact, in the actual original rendering, the phrase now is at the beginning. Beloved, now are we God's children. Now are we God's children. It's not going to be then, on the judgment day, that God will be saying, well, now you've qualified, you can now be my children. Now we are God's children. Who are the we he is referring to? Clearly, we have already seen in the previous chapter, and verse 29, where he said, if we know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, he's referring to those who have been born again. Those who have been born of the Spirit of God. Those who have experienced this transformation from being sinners to being saints from being unholy to being holy. A real change that has taken place in your heart. That's what he's referring to here. In other words, it's not everybody reading this verse who should comfort themselves in saying, well, there we are. We are being told that now we are God's children. No. It is those who should be able to say, I once loved sin. It was my passion. I drank sin at any opportunity. But my life has 
been changed by Jesus Christ. I now love God. I now love righteousness. God has saved me. He has changed me. Those are the ones he is saying should be speaking in these terms. That that change that has taken place makes me a child of God. It doesn't point me to a time in the future when I will become a child of God. It tells me that now I am a child of God. And friends, that's crucial. Not just to wake up those who are putting themselves into the context of being children of God, but are not, but it's also crucial for those of us who are truly God's children, who every so often tend to doubt. Do not let the world, or the flesh, or the devil blind you to this glorious present reality. In other words, while the gospel, rather the world is seeing you as simply one of the many options. You can be a Muslim, you can be a Christian, you can be a Hindu, you can be anything else. Don't allow yourself to judge yourself by the world standards. That in fact, that's all there is to you. That you've simply chosen another religion. And if you had been born in the Middle East, perhaps you would have chosen the religion of Islam. That's not the reality here. The powers of the coming age, God has invaded your soul and brought about a recreation that does not take place in any other religion on the face of the earth. Realize that. And even when you sin against God, and often it's the devil's trick, he makes you do something, and when you sin against God, he quickly says, "Uh uh-huh, there you are, you are claiming that you are a Christian, how can a child of God do this? And you immediately disqualify yourself, saying that I'm not a child of God. I am saying to you, get back to this reality. Get back to this transformation. I often deal with individuals who are struggling with the subject of assurance of salvation. And it's often because they are tortured by some sin that they have fallen into. And the answer that I always give to them is in the form of a question. I said to them, remember, before your conversion, this struggle you are currently going through, was it there? And the immediate answer is no. I was jumping from one sin to the other, the way in which a monkey jumps from one branch of a tree to another, looking for even higher sins, more enjoyable sins. That's the way I was going. Then I say, fine. Here's another question. If you were to be peeled like an onion 
and we get right to the bottom of the you that makes you you. What would you want to kill? Sin in you? Or righteousness? The answer is immediate. You can see it on the face. If I could but get rid of temptation and sin and the devil, if I had a sword that would slay all these immediately, I would do it now. And I say, yeah. You know why? Because God has saved you. Christ has saved you. He's changed you from the inside out. Don't allow the devil to trick you. And when he tricks you into sin, turn around and say, "Uh uh-huh, you see, you're not a child of God after all. Don't judge yourself by this transformation that has taken place in you. Live every moment of your life with this reality before your eyes. That I am privileged. I am tremendously privileged. God handles the reins of history with me and my brothers and sisters in mind. He sends out His angels to come into this world in order to look after my interests and the interests of my brothers and sisters. We are a privileged people. He's not waiting at the finishing line. Saying that you try your best, you'll find me there, and it is at that point I will decide whether I should give my best for you. He's already done it. He's already done it. You are his child now. 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 And whatever it is that's making you doubt that, deal with it. Because as John puts it, beloved, now are we God's children. Now if this is our present state, there is a thought that we must process. What will the future be like? If we are God's children now, what is it then that we we are waiting for? John's answer is, we don't know. We don't know. Yes, we know a little bit, but we certainly don't know the full picture. Look at the way he puts it there. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. What is he saying? First of all, his point is pretty obvious, and it's this. The the fact that we are God's children now does not mean that everything that God ever intended us to be has been fully realized. It doesn't mean that. There is something else that we will be. There's something else. And he makes it point blank there. 
what we will be. Now we are God's children, but what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, there is a future state. That future state is not becoming God's children. No, no, no. If you are a Christian, that's history. You already are God's child. You are special to Him today, already. But there is a future state. It will be a more glorious state than the present one. It will be. The difficulty, however, is that it's a heavenly state. In other words, it's a state that we, we cannot process in this life. It's, it's like talking about eternal life. Most people, when you say to them, what is eternal life? All they understand is eternal life is sort of living and living and living and continuing to live for a million years, maybe two million Maybe two gigabyte years, but just living and living and living. Well, you know what? It's because that's all we know. But there is a lot more packed into that term. From God's perspective, from eternity's perspective, because there's a lot more to life and living than what we know in the physical realm. So John here is saying, look, what we will be, I honestly don't know. Because it's a completely different sphere of living. He uses the word that he himself uses the most, and it is the word appear. Appear. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. It's a little phrase that he uses at least nine times in his gospel. At least nine times in this epistle as well. For instance, in verse 28 of the previous chapter, he used it. Let's quickly go there. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. There it is when he appears. The, the picture behind the phrase is simply a, a, an open display. It is in that moment you are now able to see what you could not see. So there is the Lord Jesus Christ. He exists. He's there. But we don't see Him. Well, one day, we will all see Him. He will be manifested. He will be displayed. So that even those who doubt that 
this Jesus story is real, well, on that day, there will be no doubting. Why? Because he will appear. He will be fully displayed. They will see him with their own eyes. As the Bible says, they will be calling on mountains to, to fall on them, to hide them away from him who has come, the Son of the living God. Well, what John is saying here is that what we will be, we can philosophize, we can extrapolate, we can say, well, you know, if this is real, then this must be real, and so on. We can add a lot of things together. But at the end of the day, we must still say, we don't know. We really don't. It's a, it's a hidden event because we are earthly. It's something spiritual. We don't know. But here's the point. As we continue waiting and looking for that final state, let us not degrade what we are now. Now, we are verily the children of God. Special, unique, privileged. We are His children. The ignorance that John is referring to here is not total ignorance. Because God has left some hints for us. Something that we can be able to say, aha, at least one thing we know. And this is it. That we will be like Jesus. That's the truth. That much we know. That when we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the reality and the certainty that the Apostle John emphasizes at the end of our text. Look at verse 2 again. 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But, and here is the point, at least this much we know. But, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Notice that phrase, we know. He's speaking there as an apostle. He's speaking there as one who has received revelation from God. He is also speaking as one who has interacted with fellow apostles. And consequently, what he knows as he has interacted with other apostles, he has discovered the same has been revealed to them. Together, those who have put their Revelation into writing have actually stated it unambiguously. God has revealed 
that when Jesus Christ returns, we will be like Him. That much we can tell you, He is saying. We can tell you. A few thoughts there to help us. First of all, it means that transformation will not take place when we die. It's not when we die. It is when He returns. There is an obvious transformation that takes place when we die because we go to glory. We are released from this earthly body and consequently we go to be with Him awaiting the second coming. But whatever this is, it is referring to His return. And what is that? Well, if you go to Philippians, just quickly go with me there, Philippians chapter 3, you will see what the detail is there. Philippians and chapter 3. Right towards the end of this chapter. I read from verse 20 and verse 21. But, and that but is contrasting the non-Christians, even if they are in the church. He says there, they are enemies of the cross, verse 18. Their end is destruction, verse 19. Their God is their belly, their glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, etc., etc. That's the way they are. But, those of us who are the children of God, listen to this. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, the transformation that's going to happen there is a transformation that includes our bodies. We will be transformed to begin to appear as he is. So if he shines like the sun in his noonday strength, we will shine like the sun in its noonday strength on that day. Yes, He will transform our bodies with the same power with which He controls the universe. That same power is the one that He will use to make us have new bodies, heavenly bodies, that which currently we can only say we don't know what that will look like. We've no idea because we don't see anything like that today. We don't see it anywhere. But when he appears, we shall be like him. There's a further piece of information concerning this. And it is that finally, we will reach that state that God, in saving us, wanted us to reach. And it is the state of moral perfection. 
the state of moral perfection. In other words, the struggle with sin will be over. We will function as those who are made in the image of God with nothing in us that represents the image of Adam. What he became after the fall. We will be completely like Jesus. Look with me quickly at Romans 8. Romans 8. Most of us have memorized Romans 8.28 in various versions. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. In fact, often that last part we don't even seem to remember. But listen to this, beginning with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. He predetermined their end. And what is that end? To be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, those whom he called he also justified, those he justified he also glorified. The point there that is being made is that one day, all those whom God chose from before the foundations of the world, that they were going to be His, that Jesus was ultimately going to pay the price for their sin, that the Spirit of God was coming to make them alive, quicken them out of death, and finally brought together on that final day, each one of them will be like Jesus in terms of inner spiritual transformation. That's what he's saying. Now, the point is, this work has already started with everyone who is a true child of God. When he saves you, he changes you from the inside out. As we said earlier on, with respect to individuals, in one form of sin or the other, but they are converted immediately. They say, what a fool I was. That's not my life. I should not have listened to the evil one. And whatever else it might be. Why? Because of the inner change, the inner transformation, it has taken place. But here's the point. We are not yet perfect. We know it. Every so often, we blow it. We lose our tempers. We gossip, we slander, we go out afterwards. How could I do that? And so on. But here is the good news. In your current struggle with the fallen nature, remember it will not always be like that. 
The Spirit of God who has begun the work in you, who is renewing you more and more, and consequently you can say, yes, I am not what I ought to be, but I can also say that I am not what I once was. There is a change that is taking place in me. As the Word of God renews me, as the Spirit of God renews me, I'm changing. There's more of the fruit of the Spirit being made manifest in my life. It's just that I'm still battling with fallen instincts. What he's saying is this, keep up the fight, because one day there will be the last trumpet. And when that last trumpet is sounded, that will be the end of that battle when Jesus Christ returns. Friends, this is an important aspect of assurance of salvation. Because, see, a lot of people who are truly Christians think that the only time you can know that you are really a child of God is if you no longer battle with sin. Inner temptations. So as long as those things are there, how can I be a Christian now? In fact, over there I failed and over there I failed. How can I be a Christian? When really, the very fact that you are fighting Fighting, fighting, and looking forward, looking forward to that time when the fight will be over, when even your very fallen nature will be completely transformed, and you will be like Christ. That in itself should be a ground to say, I am different. I am a new person. I am not what I once was. So let's put it this way. Have you as an individual, honestly, sincerely, and genuinely, come to God in repentance, giving up everything you know to be sinful, have you come to Him trusting in the finished work that Jesus Christ did on the cross? Has that happened in your life yet? Now, I'm not talking about the fact that have you ever repeated a sinner's prayer. I'm not saying have you ever walked to the front during an evangelistic meeting. I'm saying... Have you, as an individual, recognized that you are a sinner and pleaded with God to have mercy on you on the basis that Jesus died in your place, was punished by God in your place? Let me go further. As a result of that, have you experienced an actual moral transformation? 
where you know that left to myself, this is not me. There is a new hatred for sin in me. There is a new desire to pray, to read His Word, to be in fellowship with believers, to become more and more godly in all areas of my life. I'm asking, has this happened to you yet? Now, if that has happened, what this passage is telling you is that it's God who has brought all that about. It's God. And He has made you His child. That's what He's done. He's made you His child. He's given you eternal life. Right now, you are born of His Spirit. Right now, you are washed in the blood of Jesus. Right now, You've been made a member of the body of Christ right now. That's what you are. And when you get out there and the world is treating you as though you're just an, an alternative to, to so many other religions in the world, remind yourself that no, I'm a recreation of God. God has visited me in my weakness, in my sin, in my spiritual death. He has visited me. I'm a new creature in Christ. I am God's child. And when all hell breaks loose upon your soul, when temptation and trial Come like Job's informers, one after the other, beating hard against the door of your soul, and you're almost despairing. Do what we've been told here. Look to the skies and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I cannot continue this fight against sin, against the world, against the flesh. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, that this battle may be over. And then say to him, until you do so, give me grace. Give me grace that I might be victorious, that I might defeat sin, that I might defeat the world. That I might defeat the evil one. Give me grace. That's what this passage is telling us to do. If that is true about us. But then if it is not. If as an individual you've never come to God in genuine repentance. Here's my plea. Stop judging. Christians. You are ignorant. Terribly ignorant. It's a life you know absolutely nothing about. Christians are not just trying to be holier than thou. They're not pretending. No. Their lives 
have experienced a real transformation. And instead of you judging them from the position of ignorance, you repent. You believe in Christ before it is too late. Because that pride of yours will finally be seen to be folly on the judgment day. When you now see the very people that you've been laughing at and mocking shining like the sun in its full noonday strength. You will kick at yourself for having been so proud and judging instead of turning to God in honest humility and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me now. Amen.